I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to my 68th sermon on the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that we cannot afford to worry about how we look to others while obeying God, nor can we afford to feel embarrassed when exercising our faith in God because our pride really doesn't matter to God. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeDC.com. Twenty-seventh day of the month of March. I uh, certainly are glad to be back from our little respite that we took last week and drove down to the place where our son lives and saw him. And he and his young wife are doing fine, and we certainly are uh, glad to have made the trip and make it back for this morning. And in this last Sunday of the month of March, the end of the first uh, quarter of the year, our lesson is in the 68th part, is the 68th part of the, our sermon series on the biblical design of gender. And the text is the third verse of the fifth chapter of the book of 2 Kings. And in that book, uh, the Bible says this. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So Lord, give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now the early church flourished because it taught the history of Jesus Christ who by his miracles, his signs, his wonders, and his resurrection, proved objectively that he was and is the Savior of the world, the Messiah, prophesied in the Old Testament. And although the power of God to work miracles flowed through Jesus Christ, the record of history indicates that God chooses not to work miraculously on our behalf, when our need is something 
that we think that we can do ourselves, something that we think does not require supernatural intervention. For example, God told the man and the woman in the garden that they would have to work to earn a living rather than simply eating the fruit from the trees in the garden. And our prayer life indicates this trend. If we look at our prayer list, we will find that every person for whom we pray has a problem which we doubt that human intervention alone can fix. We pray for people that are going to hospitals containing the finest and most current medical technology because we know that doctors and medical science are limited in their ability to remedy illnesses and injuries. And these limitations have not changed over the years. Back in Jesus' day, Luke chapter 8, verse 43 and 44 describes now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of Jesus' garment. And while the physicians of the day were able to help some of the people that came to them, this woman, for more than a decade, contributed copious quantities of cash to the pharmaceutical professionals with no return on her investment. But Luke chapter 8, verse 44 through 48 tells us that when she touched Jesus, immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out of me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Twelve years of the woman's financial investments in medical science were instantly trumped by one touch of the master's garment. And why was that? Jesus testified that when the woman touched him, he felt power going out of him. Doctors have practices, procedures, and paraphernalia while Jesus has power. And Jesus didn't acquire his power by traveling through the 42 generations recorded in the first chapter of the book of Matthew to get to Mary's womb. Jesus historically had been intervening in the affairs of men for a long time. And then our text for today, a young girl testified to the pre-incarnate intervention of the Christ to the wife of the Syrian general who was her employer. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 records, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's 
wife. Now, as one after another, the idolatrous kings of Israel rejected God to worship Baal, God tired of their unbelief and decided to employ the pagan Syrians to teach the Israelites a lesson. God did so because, as I said earlier, people often don't call upon God to refresh their relationship with them, with him rather, until they recognize that they are faced with a circumstance that they cannot handle on their own. God initially allowed the kings of Israel to have military success over the pagan idolaters that lived in the land, but the Israelites confused military success with human strength and failed to recognize, as God told Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20 and 15, the battle is not yours, but God's. God was and is the arbiter of victory and defeat in war. When Israel became arrogant and rejected God, the military success that they anticipated was not forthcoming and the Syrian army under Naaman was able to defeat Israel. And as the Syrians divided up the spoil, Naaman came upon a young Israelite girl and decided to take her captive to be a servant for his wife. And the girl became a good servant to Naaman's wife. And even though the girl was enslaved, she appreciated the fact that Naaman spared her life as many Israelites were not as fortunate. In the house of the general, the girl had sufficient provisions, her mistress treated her well, and she was grateful that she was spared from death and given room, board, and a good job. But the captive servant girl from Israel recognized the medical problem that plagued the house and realized, as did the woman with the issue of blood about her situation, that there was no earthly cure for Naaman's leprosy. Fortunately, the girl from Israel knew the God of Israel and recognized, as we recognize when we put someone on the prayer list, that the solution to the incurable problem of leprosy was not in medicine or human effort. But as Second Chronicles 20 and 15 tells us, the battle is not yours, but God's. So the girl advised her mistress that there was a man of God in Israel that could take care of her husband's leprosy. Second Kings 5 and 3 tells us, Then the girl said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal Naaman of his leprosy. Now when you tell me that you are going to undergo a medical procedure and ask me to come to the hospital to pray for you, I hope that you recognize, as did the servant girl, that the battle is not mine. I have no particular medical skill, and my voice, soothing though it may be, has no palliative effect. However, in my days of ministry, I have learned some things about medical problems. One biblical principle with which I am familiar is given in Psalm 90 and 10, which says, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And this passage of scripture gives me a floor with which to work. If you are a believer in Christ and are less than 80 years of age, 
I have biblically based expectations that God will look favorably on a prayer for the restoral of your health. Jesus Christ came for the healing of mankind, as Matthew 4.23 tells us, and Jesus went, all, went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And Jesus came to restore the promise that God gave to the Israelites in Exodus 15 and 26, which says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now the Egyptians mentioned in this passage of Scripture knew of the power of God because God showed it to them. But they declined to follow the instructions that God gave them through Moses. And from their experience, we draw the logical conclusion that those that decline to follow the instructions of God are setting themselves up to be diseased. But God told Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, chapter verse 13 through 15, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. God's people by their disobedience can bring pestilence upon themselves, but God's eyes are open and his ears are attentive to the prayer of those of his people that humbly repent, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. Sickness in certain cases can be a wake-up call to let us know that we need to renew our allegiance to and refresh our relationship with God. But there are other reasons for sickness. In one case, Jesus healed a woman who had been infirm for 18 years. The day upon which Jesus met this woman was the Sabbath, and the Jewish religious leaders were incensed that Jesus would pick that day to heal the woman. Luke chapter 13, verse 14 records, But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. But in Luke chapter 13, verse 15 through 17, the Lord Jesus then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when Jesus had said these things, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. 
Now, this incident was a great intellectual victory by Jesus over the Jewish leaders, but I recorded this episode in my sermon to point out that Jesus testified that the woman was bound by Satan for 18 years. Jesus tells us that her sickness was not necessarily a function of her sin, nor was it necessarily a wake-up call, but rather was the work of the devil. And Jesus tells us in John 10 and 10, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. And the thief of whom Jesus speaks is Satan, whose mission, the mission of Jesus, directly opposes. Now, as we navigate the circumstances of this life, part of our growth process is to develop a close relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. This relationship is essential if we are to successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life, and understanding the methodology, methodology of dealing with the attacks of the enemy is part of that which we are here to learn. To deal with the attacks of Satan requires that we understand that which Second Chronicles 20.15 tells us, the battle is not yours, but God's. So when you call me about your injury, sickness, or disease, understand that I have no power to improve your situation, but I do have the ability to call upon the Lord to take care of the problem. Of course, you can call upon the Lord as well as me. But James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And in this passage of scripture, James tells us that the Lord will raise up the sick based upon the prayer prayed in faith. Jesus gives us, a, gives us an example of that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 31, which says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then Jesus touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Well, now, what is this faith? And how do we develop this faith? Well, the short answer is that faith is believing in and acting on that which God tells us. Faith is first recognizing that God reveals himself to us through his word and then recognizing that we can only achieve God's objectives by following God's instructions. The servant girl advised Naaman's wife to call on the man of God in Israel, and Naaman exercised a tentative level of faith 
by deciding to follow her instructions. Second Kings chapter five, verse four through six records. And Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. Now, I know a mechanic that is skilled in repairing automobiles. When my car needs repair, I know better than to try to fix my car, but rather I take it to the mechanic. Now, Naaman knew of the relationship of Israel to God, and he and the king of Syria tentatively decided to delegate the repair of Naaman's situation to the mechanic in Israel. But the king of Israel was not the mechanic. He responded in fear in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. But the actual mechanic heard of the problem and reassured the king in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So the king sent Naaman to see the man that could repair his problem. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 records, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Hold it. Elisha, the mechanic, sent a messenger to the general. Now, while the general was tentatively willing to have faith in the God of Israel, the general had a personal opinion as to how God should respond to him. The general thought that since he was a general, the prophet of God should take a more personal interest in his problem and show him the deference due to the man that defeated Israel in battle. Naaman's response to the prophet's instructions brings us back to the question, what is faith? And how do we develop faith? Well, the short answer is that faith is believing that which God tells us. And if we have faith in God, we can't allow anything or anyone, including ourselves, to get between us and God, and God in exercising our faith. Now, Naaman tentatively had faith in God or he would not have come to Israel to get God's help with his condition. And if Naaman had the opportunity to see God face to face, as did Moses, Naaman would probably have been as obsequious as anyone else. <coughs> but Naaman <clears throat> did not have the chance to see God. Naaman did not even have the chance to see the prophet of which the Israelite girl told him. 
Naaman only saw the messenger boy that the prophet sent with the instruction to do something that Naaman was not particularly interested in doing. Naaman felt that he, as a conquering general, was being treated disrespectfully, but he could not even protest his disrespectful treatment that he received because what could the messenger boy do about it? So Naaman had to make a decision. Should Naaman reject the commandment of God because it was transmitted to him in that which he considered a disrespectful manner? Or should Naaman swallow his pride and follow instructions, although he did not receive the instructions with the pomp and circumstance that he felt was due? Proverbs 6.16 tells us, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, and the first thing that God hates, as Proverbs 6.17 tells us, is a proud look. To answer the question as to how we develop faith, we need to know that the biggest deterrent of faith is pride. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 record, records, But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on, call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman's pride was hurt and he was angry because he did not feel as though the prophet showed him the proper respect. Naaman wanted the prophet to perform a ceremony that recognized his position as the general of the Syrian army that had just defeated the Israelite army. Naaman wanted recognition to maintain his standing with those who were watching the situation. Now, Naaman was a leper but he would have preferred to keep his leprosy than submit to that which he considered an indignity. And sometimes we, like Naaman, would rather keep negative situations in our marriages and in our physical bodies than to submit to following God's instructions because to do so would hurt our pride. But as many people find out to their sorrow, Proverbs 16 and 18 tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. All right. So that is the universal problem of mankind other than having a cold. We have a difficult time having faith in and obeying God because to do so would cause us to have to give up our pride. Do you remember the first sin? Genesis 3, 6 records, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. But then the scripture goes on to say in Genesis 3, 6, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate, 
and God chastised the man in Genesis 3.17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now why did the man disregard God and heed the voice of his wife? Why did Naaman ignore the voice of the prophet's messenger? Why do we disobey God whenever we do so? The simple answer is pride. The man did not want to look bad to his wife, and Naaman did not want to look bad to his people. To do so would hurt their pride. And we don't want to look bad either. And our pride is the devil's main tool to convince us to disobey God. Christians in our country wink at all types of sin and evil because they don't want to appear intolerant. But whenever we support disobedience to God because of the way that we will look if we stand on the word of God and call for obedience, we are choosing to exercise our pride rather than to obey God. Faith and pride are mutually exclusive. And if you don't believe it, ask Jesus how embarrassing his sacrifice on the cross actually was. But one with faith in God cannot afford to worry about how he or she looks to others, nor can one with faith in God afford to feel that following God's instructions would embarrass them too much. Naaman didn't think that he should have to take instructions from a messenger because of the way it looked to do so. And Naaman didn't want to wash in the comparatively dirty Jordan River when he had access to the cleaner rivers in Damascus. But faith in God recognizes that our pride really doesn't matter. And Naaman was fortunate to have some advisors that did have faith in God. 2 Kings 5, 13 and 14 records, And Naaman's servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, Do you wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Now here's the point. God told Israel, and he tells us in Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And just as Naaman was cleansed by eschewing his pride and following God's commandments, we can be cleansed as well. Our marriages can be improved, not by changing partners, but by following God's instructions for wives to obey their husbands and husbands to love their wives, even though others around us may tell us 
that we are being foolish to follow God's instructions or that our spouse will take advantage of us if we follow God's instructions or that we should maintain our pride and our independence by not following God's instructions. And God, by giving us his word, has set the choice of life and good or the choice of death and evil before us and given us the responsibility to make a choice. God is not really impressed by our profession of faith. God is impressed when we show our faith by our actions. We can have faith in the existence of God without having faith in the instructions of God. But biblical faith in God demands that we recognize the superiority of God's instructions and then follow them. Proverbs 4, 20-22 tells us, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. And just as Naaman was healed of his leprosy by following the instructions of God, we can be healed of our maladies by following the instructions of God. As I said earlier, I have no power to improve your situation, but I do have the ability to call upon the Lord to take care of the problem. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 tells us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul says that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. And what is the curse of the law? Deuteronomy 28, 20 through 22 and 27, 28 tells us, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuking all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness, and confusion of heart. And God curses us for forsaking him. But we are redeemed from these curses by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we are not filled with pride or intimidated by circumstances, we have to have faith in God, as Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. And so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, 
he shall have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Faith is a powerful force. And Jesus paved the way for the exercise of our faith by removing the curse of the law. All we need to do is to decide to believe that the Bible is the absolute truth. Find the passage of scripture that pertains to our situation. Digest that scripture by repetition. Act on that scripture in spite of temptation to do the opposite and simply refuse to dwell on the contradictory circumstances because the contradiction of God's words is nothing more than the tool of the devil. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 tells us, and not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And the key to faith is perseverance, character, and hope. The promises in the Word of God, however improbable, improbable that they may seem, are true, and we can count on them, as 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20 tells us, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, let it be so, to the glory of God through us. And the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead makes it clear, as Mark 10 and 27 and 9 and 23 tells us, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And all of God's promises, including faithful, loving marriages and long, healthy, physical life are possible because as John three sixteen and 17 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We are saved from both the penalty of our sins and from the curse of the law. The diseases of the Egyptians are not for us. The key to the abundant life is faith, meaning following the instructions given to us by God as we persevere through contradictory circumstances. And as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let us not be deterred from obeying God by the devil, by apparent circumstances, or by pride, but let us successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life by keeping our eyes on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Grace of God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson that you have given us. And we thank you for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And help us, Lord, that we might focus on our minds on those things that are ahead. And let us forget those things that are behind. And let us press. Let us press in our lives. And let us decide that we will conform our lives to your image and to your likeness by accepting that which you say in your word and conforming our lives to it that we might have a glorious testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.